part one chapter one of if all these young men by romer wilson this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. recording by expatriate in bangor maine if all these young men by romer wilson part one berkshire chapter one aberration upon good friday in the year nineteen hundred and eighteen the will of the whole english nation was drawn out by the pull of the tide of battle and joined issue with the will of the advancing enemy the incomprehensible possibility of national destruction gave the national will power actually to throw its weight into the line of battle and to become part of the agony of resistance fear united the people in one heart and out of fear came courage they accepted the alliance of death and of suffering and the terrible alliance of ruination and were ready to exchange life and security for one or all of these if by so doing they could maintain the continuity of resistance there was no fervour nor illusion nor patriotic glory to gild the sacrifice and no enthusiasm nor ardour nor heroics to hide the nakedness of reality each individual stood there having already in thought surrendered all that is called desirable and to his eternal honour had compacted with fate only to receive back the remnant there was no parade nor crying up of the compact nobody spoke of it even to a neighbour on the surface life went on as usual but the thinness of the surface and the superficiality of civilization was apparent while the body went upon its good friday holiday and even liberated from toil indulged in pleasure the ghost filled with a desire to join its fellow-creatures in death stole out to the battle to watch the effort of the will and the course of the battle and sighing was itself caught up by the intention of resistance and thrown into conflict with the intention of advance all this and more was gathered into the consciousness of one young woman who herself becoming ghostly lost her consciousness in the battle she wandered up and down in the morning air and watched the aeroplanes rise and fall about her and the clouds of smoke vanish away on the wind far below her in the mirage the battle progressed silently and without the irregularity of physical effort while high over her head over the mountains of her imagination an invisible shell passed from time to time creating a rainbow of despair now she saw the battle as a whole in which there was neither one side nor another but only a host of men consumed and annihilated by the completed idea of opposition now between the banks of rank fog that issued from the putrid battleground she saw millions of men in grey and clay-coloured clothing moving in masses across a wilderness of destruction now descending to earth she became part of that force of resistance which is greater than force of arms she had no idea that the battle had ever begun or would ever end or that her part in it would ever diminish nor that the agony of physical tension would ever be abated there was no blood no cries no horrors of war for the whole scene was a reflected conflict upon the battleground of the mind instead there was anguish fear and dread from which there was no refuge suddenly darkness clapped down over everything and receding an immeasurable distance into space she saw the blaze of war smoulder upon the earth's surface like soot sparks in a chimney grate and then go out 
instantaneously she passed through a sensation of the paradox of human greatness and found herself again in her own house returned to her common senses she got up from her chair put her hands in her coat pockets and began to walk up and down the small white room she could think of nothing but the war and feel nothing but the danger of england to-day danger was no vague word denoting the imminence of harm but a fact close at hand a state which only prolonged concentration of effort could change and the phrase the danger of england had ceased to connote a possibility and had become an actual thing england was not only an island in the middle of the sea it was an abstract reality and now it trembled upon the edge of the future about to disperse like morning mist or to gather up into a pillar of cloud a sign of the accessibility of the ideal there was no room for passion to-day the base foundations of human civilization were visible and the sight of them inspired no passion they were as ugly as the bottom of the sea desolate as the wilderness and the mind viewed them with heroic acknowledgment upon the superstructure thin and transparent as glass floated the emerald green of england frail and beautiful with the blue sky of its summer the blossom of its spring its autumnal woods its wintry hills all as elusive as happiness and as precarious as fortune and there it must float a far-off loveliness until the present state was ended and its inhabitants could return to it as the young woman continued to walk up and down incoherent and irrational thoughts began to course through her head backward and forward like alternating winds and she began to feel that she was sinking into the wildness which produces ruin but quickly she controlled herself and forced her mind to admit only ordered thoughts again josephine miller was twenty-six years old her head was small her eyes large and not particularly expressive and the rest of her face had an uncouth character as if she was descended from gypsies but her complexion was not gypsyish and her features could hardly be called so she had an abundance of dark brown hair cut short and curled in smooth curls her figure was good a little above the average height but her bodily movements were incompatible with modern grace and her manners were not either pleasant or cordial enough to render her amiable in society she had a low voice which she spoilt with an outlandish accent and though she had plenty to say rarely said it or indeed made any effort to charm away by any art of conversation the adverse impression which her appearance created upon strangers after walking up and down for some time her thoughts and visions finally left her and she was able to look at the clock it was only eleven she had still to pass two hours before visiting mr hunt for lunch she wished that she were back at the office where even upon good friday there was too much to do she wished still more she could go down immediately to berkshire and had not to stay at the office all to-morrow and she felt angry because she had been unable to go there last night with her dearest friend susan sharp with whom she shared this house in london presently she went into the bedroom which was a quaint old-fashioned room upon the floor above the house was called a maisonette and was the two top floors of a large old residence the rooms were low-ceilinged and panelled in white painted wood and though the house was in a poor part of the city it was light and airy josephine was usually fond of her house but to-day she did not like it usually she was fond of the long cherry-coloured curtains at the sitting-room windows and the gold and cherry-coloured chairs ancient and second-hand 
come down in the world like the rest of the place she liked the mirror over the mantelpiece in a frame of carved flowers which she had painted natural colours she liked the small faded aubusson carpet on the shining black boards and the rosy shades upon the electric lights to-day however all this furniture and the whole house and every material possession of hers had lost reality and become part of the rubbish-heap of ruination some day she might pull the chairs out by their legs and put them down again on the black floor rehang the curtains and polish the mirror which for her to-day was cracked across in the bedroom she changed her clothes and threw her discarded garments on the white french bed with its yellow bed-cover printed with tulips the bedroom was heaped in her mind on the same stack of rubbish as the sitting-room and the end of england presented itself now as a mountain of wrecked household goods theatre trash restaurant furniture motor-cars railway carriages and atlantic liners the slow match was lighted and unless she could break the train everything would flare up in spite of the brilliant sunshine outside it seemed gloomy in the bedroom but in the young woman's heart it was more gloomy still the old wish for plenty of money came back and immediately she recognized that such a wish was too foolish to hold her the ghosts of her customary wishes revisited her her desire for love her desire for public life for a husband for james blanchard's approbation and susan sharp's happiness but they were like wishes revisiting the corpse that had created them in order to fill the time she dressed herself fastidiously and decided to look for her gloves which she had long ago lost but unfortunately she found them in the first place she searched and she had nothing to do again she began to wonder if after the war she should endeavour to make a name for herself and to become what is called famous but fear came over her and to-day she found that she dare not be anything but herself she went to the glass in order to ascertain if even herself were really there and found that she had become a mere female form in this state she passed the whole morning wandering about like a man condemned to death who has in mind the possibility of a reprieve and those small things filled the moments they were not actual nothing was actual nothing signified to her soulless and willless body as it wandered listlessly about the house End of chapter 1 Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine